And now, part two of our conversation with Mark Cameron and Don Bentley. Have either of you received kind of a do not cross this line list between the junior and the senior worlds? Is is there something that the estates, or maybe not in the state, I'm not sure who would have that opinion, but is, are, are there any red lines in the sand that say, okay, we don't want to get crossed over too hard, you know, and try and confuse the reader, I suppose. Don't. So I'm going to answer it uh, maybe different than when you intend, because Mark can answer um, the, the second. I think there are two parts of the question. And one is between the writers. And the second one is, are there red lines within the Clancy universe that you don't um, cross? And I'm going to leave that second one to Mark, because I think he's got a pretty good story about it. Okay. The first one, I think it's actually it's better that the writers hash that out because because Tom's a fantastic editor, but he's not a writer. And so in his mind, he's like, well, yeah, if you want to write Jack Ryan senior, just write him. It'll be great. Mark will be fine with it. It's it's. And so he doesn't he doesn't because he doesn't write it. He doesn't know the 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 quivering feeling in the pit of your stomach when you're thinking what what there was and I'll I'll tell this and I won't go into too too much detail but there was when I was writing Target Acquired I had this idea of um that I was going to there's a scene where Jack Ryan Jr. is caught by a um a Hezbollah cell that that um that uses his capture to try and get something and I thought you know what would be really neat is if this is the one time they actually knew that he was the president's son and they used that against um, Jack Ryan Sr. And I could do a whole bunch of things with that. And so I called Mark and I was like, hey, I got this idea. And I'd actually written probably 15 or 20,000 words of this. And so Mark was in the middle of writing uh, Chain of Command. And so I told him this whole thing and it just got really quiet on the other end of the phone. And he's like, if you do that, I'll have to throw out. And he was actually really good about it. He didn't tell me not to do it. And when we got off the phone at first, I was, I was like, ah, I'll just minimize it. It'll be great. It won't affect the fact that you're doing the same plot a book later. It'll be perfect. And then you know, when I woke up the next morning, I was like, I can't do that. That would so screw him and, and take away everything he was doing. And so I feel like in that way, like, Tom is amazing, but there's some ways where it works better. I think just writer to writer to sit down and say, um, a lot of times I'll get Mark's synopsis of what he's working on, or we'll just talk about it where you can deflict, deconflict it writer to writer. Yeah. But as far as like red lines in the series, don't, don't you have a, a story about that or something, Mark? Well, you know, we're, 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 forbidden by pain of death to talk about any communication <laughs> but uh no i think there's been several times when when i've put in what i see as uh reality a, a good example would be um writing a bad law enforcement officer or a bad um, mm -hmm. military person and i got some editorial comment early on like no, no, these are not that kind of book. You can't put, they, they have to be good. They have to be the almost, I wasn't given this word, but it's almost propaganda, right? That's the way I, I felt. Uh, and then I pointed out, uh, well, what about 
the policeman in Without Remorse that's uh, that's dealing with the dopers? What about this Secret Service agent that was standing in the in the uh, Oval Office ready to whack the president? What about this person? What about that Ritter. person? What about this spy? Right. Yeah, Ritter in the books is not he's not. That's true. It's more of a movie until thing. Yeah. Ritter's not bad. Ritter's in the book I'm writing now, which is kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. um, cool. So is a, a person named Cutter, which is really weird to write. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but um, he's he's he can be a bit feckless. He's 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 in it l- later on, uh, and particularly in the movies. But he's you know a former operations officer. He's deputy director of operations. Um, so there are people that are bad in real life i mean there's you know we have a tendency to to close ranks around our own tribe but um it makes it more real i think i had written a a character that was a a a corrections officer that was going to whack somebody that um and and part of that too is tom just being extra careful tom colgan has explained to me many times as he's probably explained to to don and and mark and mike he takes very seriously the mantle Mm -hmm. of being the guardian of the Tom Clancy memory. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and he does a very good job at it. And so I might write something I I had, there was a car chase in, um, I can't remember which one, one of the early uh, oath of office, I think. And there was a car chase in Portugal and I'm taken from previous experience and, and um, the, you know what a pit maneuver is where you, mm, sure, sure. you you know hit the back fender and spin the car and um so jack jr when i was writing more about jack jr he was driving the car lisanne who eventually meets a terrible fate um lisanne is in the car with him and he's going to let these people try to pit him but they're hanging out ha- hanging out the side anyway he ends up smashing into him and cutting a guy in half that's the, one of the bad guys that's hanging out. And I went into a little bit too much detail about what was left on the road. And I got a, I got a little editorial comment like, no, 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 no. We don't put that in a Clancy book. Um, so um, there, there is some of that, but it, it's really more style um, yeah. mm. as far as what to cross. Jack Ryan has to be the, the nice guy that knows um, knows everybody's name, you know, knows his detail name. Those are just, those are the editorial comments that I get that are, you know, Tom Colgan making sure that I, that I remember, which I, I know what Jack Ryan's like, I feel like right now, but it is good to have that um, reminder. You know what? He, even though it's superhuman, he would remember that particular secret service agent's name, right. that kind of thing. So Really, it, yeah. they play it very softly. The, um, we get to write, you know, within reason. I, I don't think I could put a, you know, a Fifty Shades of Grey scene. Well, and that's a, mm-hmm. that uh, anybody that the, because I don't I don't write gratuitous sex. I'm I my language is cowboy language. Not, you know, my mother reads all my books. I just, <laughs> it's just the, and it's I write the way I generally talk, and so my characters. Um, generally speak that way as well um except when they're really really mad um but i had a scene where you mentioned the first lady's kidnapped i have a scene with her 
freaked out. I mean, she's kidnapped. She's brutalized. She's worried she's going to be sexually assaulted. She's alone in a room. She's on a mattress. And she starts to have doubts, as any human would do. And she starts to play this thing in her mind about, gosh, if Jack and, and Mary Pat, they're sure friendly. You know, that sort of thing that, that any of us have doubts were in that sort of a situation. And I got some comment about that and about how, you know, they're the perfect couple and, and to Tom, you know, and then we went back and forth on it. And uh, I was able to point out that they had serious metal, uh, marital problems in some of mm -hmm. all fears right. to the yep. point where, yep. you know, <laughs> Dean and, and, and uh, Clark had to step in and say, no, 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 this is not what's going on. Yeah. Right. Um, so we kind of go back and forth. He, I, I think because Don and I are in the thick of it writing, we become the resident experts in the, you know, what's going on and what went on in the past. But Tom has this 30,000 foot view of, of, of how it's perceived. And sometimes as writers, we think it's coming off one way and he's able to give us the, the skinny on, well, you know what, that's not the way we're getting it. And I, I generally yield to, to Tom. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the the I'll, I'll, I'll um, dovetail on that. That I, I have a buddy. His name's John Dixon. That um, Mark knows as well. He's a fantastic writer. He was also a Golden Glove boxer, and he he told me one time that the purpose of a referee in a boxing match is so that you never have to worry about hurting the other guy. You fight hmm. as hard as you can, and the referee's job is to keep everybody safe. And I, and I really feel like. Now that so I just handed in Forgotten War, which is my fourth Matt Drake book. So it's the sixth book I've worked on with Tom Colgan. And and I feel that way about him now that I don't I don't have to worry about um, about dampening what I want to do back or controlling any of those things. I'm going to push it to the limit and then let him pull me back if I get too far, um, too far to the left or right in the. Uh, the 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 thing that I had to yield to wasn't um, comments about the first lady and her and her husband's relationship. It was in Zero Hour. There's a scene that takes place in this really cool, this swanky Korean hotel. And so I was looking for hotels to try and find it. I found this awesome one. And so it has this bar with all of these amazing records and stuff. And so it's like this retro bar with records mm -hmm. and they do it. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if it was all 80s records? And so then I just got spooling and I'm like, what are all the 80s songs I can have back to back in this scene that happens? And when Lasanne comes in, this song's playing. And then I yeah. got the too much 80s music. Take that out. <laughs> so that's where, hey, send me that, that's where send me that list, Don. I, 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 actually, <laughs> I actually almost put the book down because I was like, uh, he said his compliment was Journey Doesn't Suck or something like that. I'm like... <laughs> Journey, journey outside the Beatles. Journey was my life band growing up. So, oh yeah, <laughs> something about a grill. The Rick, too, the Rick Springfield stuff was funny too. Yeah, I, I actually bodyguarded for him in college. Oh, nice. Rick Springfield. Nice. Yep, I played ping pong with him, but that's a whole other story. Ooh. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Mark and Don, you both have extensive uh, real life experiences. You have weaved uh, you. That you can and have weaved into these stories mark you spent for people who are living under a rock you've spent 30 years in in law enforcement and dan for people who live under the rock that 
other people are living under. <laughs> you flew Apaches. Uh, and, you know, you read Zero Hour and, and you would understand that. You were also an FBI agent. But do either of you think you could have written these stories without that real world experience? I know, Mark, you were talking about how you were able to call up the people that you know. But even to, to get to that point, uh, you know, you're able to have those relationships um, to lean on from your previous experience. Yeah, I think it would be definitely a different book. Pl certainly plenty of people that haven't been in fights, right, fight scenes. Certainly people that haven't been law enforcement officers, right, um, good detective novels and whatnot. But they, um, I think Don is able to ride a, a helicopter scene with much more breadth and depth than um, I could or somebody that, you know, even interviewing a hel helicopter pilot, Don's going to know the, where the, you know, where the pucker factor is that yeah. they might not tell me. So writing about law enforcement, writing about the ins and outs of the marshal service or the, you know, in, in my, like I write about the FBI, I write about the secret service. I've never been in either one of them, but I, I've dealt with them. I've dealt with OSI. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think they would be much different books if I um, wrote about them. I, I tend to write all my books like Westerns, kind of all the, they might not ride horses, but these are cowboys doing the right thing. Um, you know, and the older I get, they're old cowboys doing the right thing. So um, I, I view them as, I try not to view, you know, obviously with the Clancy's, we've talked about that. You have to write within boundaries of a of a set character. But even that, they're wide boundaries. Um, I, I try not to view them as any one genre. Just tell the story. And then as I, like, like Don was saying, you know, kind of take the gloves off and just go. I'll cut, you know, if I write 2,500 words in a day, 1,700, 1700 of them might end up in the book, but I don't want to slow down. I want to just keep writing and, and not worry about whether it's a mystery or a thriller or, a, you know, Western or whatever, just write the good story set in this space. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, several of my favorite writers, so Mark Greeny, Vince Flynn, Daniel Silva, and this guy named Tom Clancy, none of them had any of the experience that we were just talking about, right? And so what they did have, and if you'll, you know, you guys have interviewed Mark, and he talks about the training that he's gone to, and, you know, Tom Clancy had uh, intellectual curiosity that it let him figure that stuff out. And I think for me, um, certainly the helicopter scenes, but that's really a one-off. That's the first time I've, I've done that. Uh, for me, it was more of the people I met during that time that could answer some of these questions. And so I, I start most often, which what would be really cool? And then who could tell me how to write that scene? And so for Zero Hour, there's a scene where um, Jack Ryan Jr. Uh, is is um, infiltrated into North Korea in a, in a SEAL delivery vehicle. And so a good friend of mine, Jad, who's Jad in the book, was a Navy SEAL, and I made him a Green Beret. And so <laughs> I asked Jad about it, and he's like, man, the, the SEALs that are in SEAL delivery vehicles are a different kind of SEAL. They're crazy. It's, it's a horrible experience, and I can't tell you about it because I didn't do it. So 
I gave Jack Carr a call. I said, Hey man, can you help me with that? And he echoed the same thing. And he said, they're crazy, but I know a guy. And so he had hooked me up with a guy who's um, one of the photographers for um, black rifle coffee. And he was kind enough to walk me through. What did it feel like? What are you? And I'm like, here's the scenario I'm trying to do. What's it like? What are, and so I think that's still though, it comes back to, um, you know, your instinct as a storyteller is the most important part of it, right? What are you going to provide the reader that they're actually going to love and start with that and then go find that information out rather than potentially saying, hey, I know about Apache helicopters, so every book I'm going to write has an Apache helicopter, which all books sh should have. But I think no, I think that's kind of the difference between and, and honestly, I feel like it. If you come too much from the other side, it can be limiting because what you fall back onto over and over again is what you're most comfortable with. And that can be maybe not not what's right for the book or even worse, it could start to get repetitive for the reader. I think that's a really good point. If we if you approach like my favorite thriller writers are writers first. Mm hmm their past comes second and it informs their writing. So yeah. I feel like if, if Don wanted to sit down and write a, a historical romance, he could, he would know the right people to ask <laughs> or, or whatever, but you know, he, yeah. he's a writer. And so yeah. I think, and when I, I use the, the helicopter analogy, but really I'm talking about the military. Mm -hmm. uh, fighting is a good example. It, I read a lot of fight scenes and they come across or watch them on movies. They come across as entertaining. But when I write a fight scene, I'm writing for people who have been in fights. Mm -hmm. And then I hope it's entertaining to everybody else as well, because unless you really know, <laughs> then it is difficult to, you know, mm -hmm. I want I want John Dixon to know that I know what mm -hmm. it's like to get hit in the nose. Yeah. Um, yep. As a boxer, you know, so, so there are things that inform us, but they shouldn't, as Don just said, that, that shouldn't be the only thing we write about without, that should be a tiny little bit. And I, mm -hmm. I think it would just be different. I don't think, I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary. Otherwise I could never write from a female point of view or, Right. Or write about anybody in the military. I, you know, I just have to stop there. Mm. That's, That's good. good. Well, gents, while you both have different styles, one thing you share is the ability to flesh out fully realized characters within a fast moving story with a lot going on. Um, for instance, Don, in one paragraph on page 370 of Zero Hour, you related a small <laughs> anecdote about a man who may have had the greatest formative influence on Jack Jr. other than his father and John Clark. Mark, an example would be Arliss's interactions with the grandkids and the grumpy stories. Um, my question is this, though. Uh, all seriousness. Do those glimpses into character generally occur organically in the story, or do you make a conscious choice to look for places to add them? And I'll start with Don first. A little bit of both. Um, sometimes I'll have a character in mind uh, when the story starts, and they'll be fully formed or I'll know this is what makes them unique or I'm excited to write it more often. A lot of times I'll get through an entire first draft and I won't even have a name for a character. I'll have like XX or XY because I know 
kind of what role they're going to play, but I'm learning about that character as I write. And so when I get done with the first draft, oftentimes I'll have to go back and besides just put their name in, add in the things that make them real that I've discovered over the course of that draft. You know, I think um, one of the, again, not to keep beating on, on Daniel Silva, but one of the things he does so well is every single character he has not only has um, he describes them physically, but usually there's some kind of quirk that he gives them that brings them to life, that takes them from just being a description of words on the page to a fully breathing somebody you recognize. And as a writer, that's really hard to do. And it's really hard to do as well, because for me, I'm always doing that at the last minute. And so there's the temptation oftentimes to just say, this is a really minor character. It doesn't matter. It's the person that you know, gives him coffee or something like that. Do I really need to go into detail? And maybe you could make the argument that you don't, but oftentimes when you do in the second draft, something really neat happens. There's an interchange that you weren't planning. There's kind of a detail that comes out. There's something. And so for me, a lot of times also, and I think that's, that's probably because I, I write more organically instead of plotting I'm figuring out that character as I'm writing the book and, and in the beginning, in the first draft, they're very cardboard and very, you know, two or one dimensional. And then as I finish the book, I understand them and have to go back and see that um, through the rest of the book. Mark? Yeah. So, so I, um, I plot and I, I, I maintain that Don does too. He just does it all in his head and he's just way smarter than me. I have to write it all down. Um, but I, you know, I have certain characters that I want to put in books when the time is right, but it generally happens organically where I'm, I'll say, for instance, you know, Clark's walking down this hooker alley and meeting up with this OSS guy. I already know what I think the guy's going to look like, but then as I, I, you write it, there's that magic that happens when you're in that kind of fugue state of writing um, where you, you really start to watch, at least for me, I start to watch the movie in my mind and, and just write down what I see. Yeah. And so when you see these people as real people, a lot of the, you know, the dialogue should inform their character. The, you, you, it shouldn't just always be, you know, the bald guy with the gray beard. Um, there should be some dialogue. There should be, you know, <laughs> some little quirk like don said um and the things they do you know for instance john uh, jack ryan habitually makes he pours coffee for all his guests even as the president that's one of the things he does that the fact that he does that you can have that happen while everything else is going on and dialogue mm -hmm. is happening but you see what kind of a leader he is he's a, a servant leader and so i enjoy seeing these people as, as real people. Grumpy, in the Arliss Cutter books, Grumpy's based on some real people that were mentors to me uh, growing up and then as a, as a young police officer. The twins are inspired by, I'd say based on, because I, you know, I these are not real people, they're fictional people, but they're inspired by um, my grandsons and my granddaughter as a matter of fact just the sort of the funny things they do and the way they talk and their <laughs> energy um, and so and my own children growing up and so and Bo and 
in the Jericho Quinn novels, Bo and and Jericho are kind of you know comic book versions or uh, of my son, sort of larger than life, uh, you know, Marvel comic kind of uh, versions of my sons. So. I see them already and just write that down. Something interesting on the, if anybody's read the Jericho Quinn series, there's a, a Marine gunnery sergeant sidekick named Jacques Thibodeau. And I was probably three books in. And I described him in fair detail, you know, Marine Corps poster, recruiting poster, kind of a guy with a square jaw. He's a Cajun. Um, I would say probably half my readers, if I judge from emails, think that he's African-American. The other half think he's black. Huh. So consequent, and part of that's because of the, the, the reader for the audible books, but uh, because he's Cajun. Um, so about three books into the eight books and two, uh, two novellas, I just quit describing him. I want the re I want the reader to picture him the way they picture him. Right. It doesn't matter to me. And mm -hmm. so we know he's a monstrous uh, Marine um, from Louisiana. And if they want to picture him as African-American, I'm good with that. If they yeah. want to picture him as a, a white guy, I'm good with that, too. Yeah. I can think of other ways to describe him, and it doesn't harm the story at all. Right, right. Pretty cool. Let the reader let the reader see themselves in the characters. Yeah. And I think uh, they do that with everybody. You know, I think so, too. Know, yeah. Push people a little bit. That's why movies hurt us so bad because we already have this fully formed, ver you know, version of what that character should look like, and it might not even be the the same as as um, you know, like Hemingway said. There's no symbolism in the old man. I see the old man's the old man. The fish is the fish, and everything else is BS. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, let's raise a glass, Mark Cameron. On Benley, you have survived our traditional portion of the mm -hmm. interview, and now we're gonna pepper you with stupid questions. Here we go. Here's where the careers end. <laughs> Ours, you you can mean career review careers? <laughs> never really got started. So, uh, speaking of careers, Mark, uh, you have decided to move on from the Clancy franchises and concentrate on the Arliss Cutter series. And Clancy State and Tom Colgan have asked you to pick a successor of the current crop of thriller writers who do you think you'd approach about this opportunity that's hilarious no pressure no pressure that's hilarious Mark. i thought i thought what the heck did tom tell them <laughs> <laughs> no oh, I, I, uh, we shouldn't have said i'm that. not at liberty <laughs> I'm not, I, you know there's so many good writers out there that could do it um i yeah, there's so many good writers out there that could do it. I would uh, Don could take over and write both of them. He, there he you go, Don. Right here. Here. Don, plenty of time. <laughs> I like that one. Oh, Don's going to write both. That's a great answer. Oh my goodness, uh, Don. Where do Apache pilots stand in the pecking order of helicopter pilots, and uh, what kind of psych test did you have to fail to get your wings? <laughs> So you're thinking too small. I think what you meant to ask is where do they stand in the pantheon of humankind? And oh, it's at oh. the, very, the very top. Um, of course. I will say that when, uh, when back an eternity ago, when I went to flight school, um, your very first, you had like two weeks that were like, welcome to the army before you um, started flying helicopters. And on the second or third day, it was like, bring your spouse to work day. And so you would bring your spouse and it was kind of welcome to the army to them. 
And so the, the instructor said, what we're going to do is give all the spouses a test and based on their answers, the helicopter you fly will be decided. And so um, <laughs> what, what, they, what they did is, is they said, okay, if your spouse is someone who's extremely detail-oriented, if they like checklists, if they do all of this, they're going to be a Blackhawk pilot. And then they went all the way down until they said, if um, your spouse was the one who got the fire department called on them for lighting the dumpster on fire back behind the school when they were in middle school, they're going to fly Apaches. And that was kind of how my <laughs> wife looked at me and she said, that is you, which is carried forward in the rest of my That's career. Hilarious. Because uh, when I made the SWAT team, so when when you make the SWAT team, how, how we did it, I don't know um, how Mark did it. You go in and you meet with the senior team leader and you kind of talk through things. And that's where you talk about what you might want to do in the team. And there are different specialties and stuff. And so I went in to talk to my team leader and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I was thinking sniper. And, and because I had no idea what snipers actually did, but I said, I'm thinking sniper. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm thinking breacher. And yeah. so I'm like, yeah. yeah, I can see that. You're that I guy. Can see that. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna start calling you Don Breacher. <laughs> oh, I like that. Uh, hey, Mark, what's the dumbest, stupidest, or most creative hiding place you have found a fugitive? Hiding place. Hmm. Um. Gosh, my son found somebody not too long ago in the tiniest little. Uh, cover and underneath. He's a police officer, by the way. I should preface with that. <laughs> he, uh, he's, Freelance. Uh, he's, he's a postman he's hanging out in somebody's apartment and found somebody <laughs> hiding under the bathroom sink, the little where all the pipes are and everything. She was like contorted really? underneath there. Yeah. Um, I found people hiding in in walls. Uh, I found people hiding under, you know, probably the dumbest thing is people will hide under. Um, like laundry in in a, in a you know, or or under a mattress, so you know you see the mattress. Up. Um, they're like you know up, up here in Alaska we have we, at least in South Central Island we have a lot of moose and and a moose will hide behind a birch tree, you know. So if they're if they can't see you and their whole body's sticking out, they're like, nope, nope, I'm good, I'm good, I can't see. Um, and so the people that you know will hide in a you know pile of laundry where they're that's hilarious sticking out or that's i got a guy at them and yeah mark i got a guy who was uh it was a dining room table with the chairs underneath it was a pretty long dining room table and he was on the chairs but underneath the the like the lip of the table planking you really couldn't see him unless you actually (laughs) were looking for him it was actually stupid but a pretty decent hiding spot yeah there's some good ones hide and seek champions yes 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 Okay, my, my first question for both of you. Um, now, Mark, you kind of have a little bit of a, a edge here because you've lived in both places, um, but I'll ask you first. More badasses <laughs> per capita, Texas or Alaska? <laughs> per capita. <laughs> per capita. Keyword. Oh, man, I, I am... I'm going to get in trouble with my <laughs> Texas friends, but I... it's just harder to live here. It is... Mm. 
you know, you got to be a badass. I mean, watch Life Below Zero and look. Oh yeah, the yeah. that lives yeah. up in Sue that lives up in Cavett. Yeah, Camp. I mean that is crazy. One of my but, friends, uh, Rob Pollard, is one of the producers of that show, and yeah, you you just there's a certain gravitas that comes with starting your car when the tires are square and it's 35 below outside i mean we make our kids play outside at recess until it falls below 10 below zero um, <laughs> they cancel school here at uh no exactly 20 exactly. degrees <laughs> well it really really quick we we had remember were you in dc during the snowpocalypse and yeah snowmageddon yeah 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 snowmageddon or whatever and 2009 or whenever it was i can't remember what it was they shut down they shut um, down for like a, two weeks yeah yeah so um actually yeah so my chief at the time so so dc shut down we couldn't get anything done we'd try to you know call it and they had like command posts set up at headquarters because <laughs> yeah. marshal service and you know the beltway was just shut down like my, my son was at the um in university of maryland in uh, for grad school so they were sending us pictures of, you know and he's in a four-wheel drive he's from alaska helping push people out so my chief sent a, a service-wide email so they, they'd send out these things headquarters going to be shut down call this emergency number whatever so my chief sent a service-wide email when we were having a, a little bit of weather here and it said it said district of alaska 75 mile an hour winds on the hillside gusting to 90 27 below with a wind chill factor of 54 minus 54 um and then this whole you know and flood stage of ice in the on the ocean and you know roads covered with blowing snow and then dot 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 and by the way we're at the office <laughs> and so there there is a long way to say it's just a hard place to live and so you sort of learn where your yeah. weaknesses are and get past them. So Texas forever. I'm going to let you abstain from that question. Um, uh, no, no, no. Where you go? It's hot down I, there. I'm not going to dispute anything Mark says, but I have two <laughs> words for you. They're lonesome and dove. So if you have read that book, that's might true. Learn a little something about. That's all I'm saying. That's all okay. I'm saying. No, I, I think I love both. that. I love that book. I've got it behind me. But you know what? I, also I love, I love both your states. So. I also have a T-shirt that says it's got a picture of Alaska on it and a tiny little Texas in the middle of it. It's to scale, by the way. To scale. And it says, <laughs> and it says uh, Alaska pissing off Texas since 1959. <laughs> okay, so Don, this question is just for you. Um, somehow, in all the interviews in discussions we've done and the conversations I've had with you outside of those, I've missed that you were an Ohio state Buckeye. The Ohio state university. Mm, is what Ohio. I meant to say, but okay. um, well, as you may or may not know, they are hosting my beloved Notre Dame fighting Irish to kick off the opening college football season. First, do you have any ticket connections at your alma mater? <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> what are we going to wager? <laughs> uh, Bottle of booze. The go. answer to the first is no, and uh, mm -hmm. I think a bottle of booze is a good idea. Uh, I'll oh. go with that. Well, well, all right, we'll talk about that um, <laughs> for sure, for sure, because I'm in. All right, my third question is for you, Mark, and I feel like I'm contractually obligated to ask you this one. <laughs> if you and Don were engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat, <laughs> would, would you, you rather he stab you in the arm or the leg? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's funny. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Just oh wait till you just wait till you uh read the end of the last cutters. Oh, I can't, I can't wait. Oh. There we go. Don, if you're not um, aware, that was a question asked of him once and <laughs> his reaction is one of I my heard, favorites ever. I heard. And that Don's one of those guys summarily fired. Don's, Don's one of those guys that, you know, as you get older, actually my whole life, um, I've sort of divided people into groups. Like that's a person I would take hand to hand. That's a person I would use a two by four with. And <laughs> that's a person that I would uh, engage with the 30 out six from yeah. you know, 350 yards. And Don's definitely the 30 out six guy. He's, oh, he's, uh, he's giving me dude. too much credit. All right, well, we know Don's only got a few more minutes here. So I'm going to rip into this one here. So your collective rivalry is well known in the industry, despite all the answers you've given throughout this interview. Yes. Don, how devastated um, will you be? And I'm going to release some information that's germane to the next Clancy book here, the senior book, to learn that Mark has written that uh, Jack Ryan Jr. was actually adopted. How does that affect you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I told him once I figured out he had a one-armed girlfriend, I mean, anything <laughs> I could write over. But I did I did tell Mark that at the end of um, that book, uh, Jack Ryan Sr. had a stroke and could no longer speak, and good luck with that. And so I still got that scene ready. Here we go. I mean, it, I could tag that in into any epilogue. It just flows right Dude, in there. That's so, awesome. All right. Number two, uh, so our research department really uncovered a, what was considered up till now a sealed court document that points toward a recent arrest of Don's. Mm -hmm. And we were equally shocked to learn that Mark had gone undercover to foil Don's attempt to sell a clothing line that claimed the pearl snaps were legitimate. But <laughs> Mark, will you tell us what was the illegal material that Don was using for these said buttons? What? <laughs> you guys, <laughs> the, the, the leg. I would shoot. It was a leg bone. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was leg, right. leg bones. Yeah. All right. Last here's, question. Here, no, 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 no. Here's what I'll oh. say about that. And I've said this to Mark before, and Taylor Moore falls into this category. Mm. There are there are people who are all pearly snaps and no cattle, and I am that person. Mark and Taylor Moore are real cowboys, so you, you need right. to defer to them. And he's admitted to it. All right. Last question before we let you go. Um, you two are on a joint book tour uh, that mm. you don't know about yet. And then you become lost in a blinding snowstorm and forced into an abandoned igloo. <laughs> Days pass and there's no sign of a rescue attempt. And one of you is forced to eat the other. My question is this. What kind of barbecue sauce do you use, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. That's hilarious. You guys, you guys are hilarious. No. Every guys. time we were on my this show, people like Don and I would survive. Yeah, you yeah, would. We, yeah. We would. All right, let's leave on a happy note. That's fine. The Texas Whatever. barbecue, just as an homage to Don. <laughs> Every That's time I'm on this show, I swear it's the last time. No, and then I come back again, and you remind me why. All right, you I gotta go, you, guys. Yeah, you love the All stupid, right. but we love hey, you. Congrats uh, on number two, congrats. New York Times bestseller, my friend. Absolutely, yeah, chain of command, zero Good hour. See you, Don. Cheers, guys. Good to see you too, Mark. See y'all later. Hey, boys. Yes. We had Mark Cameron, 
Mm-hmm. And Don Bentley on the show. The awesome. writers who write the Tom Clancy series. They are awesome writers. Yes. Even better guys, though. Absolutely. We love uh, We guys. love having them. They spend extra long time with us talking about the series, crafting, all really good tidbits. Hope everybody enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I know, Sean, you enjoyed it. And Mike, you enjoyed it. So let's raise the glass. Loved it, folks. Cheers to them and to us. Mm-hmm. Hell of a time. Mm. Okay. And this is the outro for Mark Cameron and Don Bentley and the Clancy series. And here's, yes. here's he's only got one take, folks. This is it. <laughs> It's gotta be one take. That's it. Three, hey boys. Two and one. Go. <laughs>